This episode is brought to you by Mic Up Podcast Productions. Are you an entrepreneur or business owner or somebody that's wanted to start a podcast for a while, but you don't know where to start? You're busy. Your team's busy. It seems overwhelming. Well, we got you covered. Or perhaps you may have a podcast. You've started it. You underestimated the amount of work. And look, you don't want to deal with all the BS. We got you covered as well. So we either help you launch a show or take over your current show and help you really get your message to more people, help you amplify your brand, help you amplify your message. Most importantly, help you cultivate and build amazing relationships. So we do all that through podcasting. We do complete end-to-end podcast production service audio, video, all of it, so that you have a highly produced episode and you don't have to worry about it. Let people that know what they're doing take care of things that you don't want to deal with. And let me, like I know, your team's busy. People, people have a lot to do. And the last thing you need is another project. So if you're interested, you want to start a podcast, we have a few spots that are opening up. Hit me up, DM on Instagram, Follow me on lance.ecos, reply with in my DMs podcast, and then we can set up a time with my team and we can have a chat, qualify you and find out your goals and see if we're a good fit. Simple as that. All right. Mike up podcast productions. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Hello, everyone. You probably don't recognize my voice because I am not Lance Isios, I am Samantha Joy, and we have a special treat for you today. I am a good friend of Lance. Lance is also my client. We are working through his book, Mastering Adversity, and that's the Lance you guys know and love. And today, we thought it would be really special to do kind of a deep dive into Lance's book writing process, Mastering Adversity, the book coming out. I think spring of next year is what we're aiming for. And our process together of me being his writing coach and the struggles of writing a book, what it really means to work through adversity and to basically go deep into Lance's personal stories and personal history. Wait, I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be good because, you know, we know each other so well and, you know, You've helped me from the beginning of this entire process through the summit and through the book. And now, you know, bringing this book home on the final finish line, there's a lot more things that we need to go super deep with, a lot more personal stuff, personal stories, personal advice. And what better way to do it than to share on the, share the journey on the podcast and kind of give people a little bit of a peek behind the curtain around the, the whole process because it's, it's, it's adversity in itself. And, you know, we don't really have a, we don't really have a rule book or a guideline on how this all works. We're just kind of like each, and as you know, each, each human has its own, their own story and their own way to do things. And it's so interesting because the vision sometimes isn't as clear 
from let's say the editor's point of view or or whatever and it's kind of like a dance between figuring out the best way and it's kind of it's an it's an evolving it's a growing entity it's a, it's a thing that that grows into different things so that's where we're at and i'm really really excited i wouldn't have anyone else do this in this process so thank you sam Yes. And we'll get into, I think for your listeners, it'll be really exciting to get into the book process. I'm going to bet there are a lot of people here listening that really want to know like what goes into writing a book. And we're going to crack some of that code for all of you too today. So if you are a first time listener, welcome to University of Adversity. If you don't know Lance Isios, he is the host of this amazing podcast, University of Adversity. We're just turning the tables today. Uh, to go deep into the book process. Lance is the host of this podcast and has created a top 100 rated podcast worldwide, which is amazing. You've got hundreds of thousands of downloads, hundreds of thousands of listeners, interviewed over 350 guests, including New York Times bestselling authors, pro athletes, celebrities, spiritual masters and leaders, and what Lance calls the common heroes among us. Can you tell me what that means? A lot of times when you have podcasts or when you have a platform where you interview people, sometimes we look for, we think that it's just the celebrity, like the high profile people that have powerful stories because we see them a lot. But there are so many people amongst us that haven't made it to that level of success that have such powerful stories. And there's so many people and there, and each person has a story, has something powerful that we can really learn from. And I like to mix it up. I like to have, you know, the high profile people that you see online or high profile sports figures. But I really like to dive into people that you may not know, into people's stories, the the people that are real life heroes and overcoming things and doing things in their life that you may not hear about. And I really like to dig into that because I feel that those stories are so relatable at helping people move through the shit that they're going through because it's that's they're going through their own journey. They're on the journey. And sometimes that's what people need to really relate to a story. Because sometimes when you see these people who have created massive success, we put them on pedestals. We don't real we think that they're so far ahead that. Oh, they're there. They just were born that way or whatever. So I really like to hone in on those people that are on the journey that are living it and breathing it and they have a story to tell. So that's, that's, that's kind of how I sum up common heroes among us today. So we're going to shift into the topic of adversity. Your book that will be coming out next year is called Mastering Adversity. I feel so honored to be with you on this journey and going through the manuscript, going through the whole editorial phase of this journey and most importantly, learning about your personal experiences and the things that you've gone through. So as you all know, or you're here for the first time, you're learning that Lance is, you know, an amazing podcast host and interviewed over 350 incredible people. And within all those stories is, you know, a a point of adversity with all these people that have achieved this greatness in their life. And so I believe that makes you the authority of adversity. And now I believe this even more having learned your own personal stories. So today, what I was thinking is we can go into one of the cornerstones of your book. So we're giving people a little bit of a taste of what you're going to get into. And you go through this thing about the four adversity archetypes. 
And I want to get into what those are. And I want to hear about how you have embodied all of them, right? So some of them are, you know, there's going to be some painful stories in there. There's going to be some vulnerability in there. There's going to be some accounts when you were not in your proudest moments. And I think it's important for people to see that you're human just like everybody else. So can you kind of go into very high level what the four archetypes are, the four adversity archetypes? Yeah. So, you know, we start out where we, I just wanted to really, well, we both kind of work through this, kind of looking at what categories we fall into in this lifetime, right? And we broke it down. One being the victim. I think we can all relate to that one. Yeah. The goal is to go from victim to warrior. And for those of you that don't know, it's mastering adversity, how to unlock the warrior, unlock the warrior within and turn your biggest struggles into your greatest gifts. So the goal is to kind of show you what that even means. And the first one I would say like that most of us have been or are is the victim where we feel like we're a victim to circumstances and I, I, I want to say this before, is that we all go through this stuff. Like this is a journey. Mastering adversity is a, a lifelong journey. And no matter how spiritually, you know, how, how tapped in you are, how much you think you know, you're, we all go back into this, these different categories. And, and it depends, like sometimes we stay in it longer. Sometimes we, we able to become aware and get out of it, but we all go back and forth. So I just want to say that, like, if you find yourself being a victim, it's okay. It's just the awareness of, first of all, knowing that this is a common thing. And most of the world plays in this, this archetype where we think that life is happening to us instead of, you know, life being happening for us. And being a victim is just really thinking that somebody owes you something or that the external environment around you will control your life. And I have noticed in my own life that I found myself many times in the past where I felt that the world owed me something and I had some sort of grudge and I was like this, this like victim, this, this, this feeling of having this resentment for the, all the stuff that's happened. Like, why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening to me. And all of that bullshit. We all go through it. But being a victim will never help you move forward. It'll just keep you crippled in life. It will never empower you. And this was one of the, the main archetypes to start, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. I want to so add some of that yeah, as well. Like oh, for, I think you covered it. And we're going we're gonna to go deeper into that in a minute. But I want to cover the four. So the next one, the distractor. The distractor. Tell us about that. Yeah, the distractor is one that I'm very, I can, I can relate to very much so. And most of us can. Our whole world, we're living in this, in this archetype, right? We're distracted by... When we feel something, when we feel a discomfort, in, instead of sitting through it, letting our body understand and let it catch up with the, what's going on, most of us, the, uh, the, the second that we feel that discomfort, we want some sort of diversion, right? We want some sort of thing 
to numb this pain that a lot of us don't realize is actually happening. This is what you see in our society. Alcohol is so readily available. So many people have this underlying social anxiety that they don't even realize they have. So they go and they, they, they realize that they can't even socialize because of the, this insecurity that they haven't looked at. And the only way to be able to feel like they belong is if they drink. And it's, it's everywhere. I've done it. I, you know, I, there's times I still do it, right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a way to distract ourselves from feeling the actual truth. And you see this in our society, you know, especially with, you know, a lot with men and women, you know, with porn, with sex, and this feeling that they need somebody to give them some sort of feeling of wholeness. And that's essentially what it is, right? Looking for other things outside of ourselves. And we see it in, 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 in food. Food is a big one. Distract yourself from sitting at night. You feel lonely, whatever it is. Let's eat. Let's, let's eat. But you're not actually hungry, right? And social media, let's get those dopamine hits. Let's look at our phone. Like, what's going on? Like, I need to post this so that I get these, like, little validations. And look, it feels good when you get a bunch of likes and comments. It feels good. And that stuff can become addicting after a while. So it's amongst us where dis the distractor archetype is everywhere. And it's not bad. It's just that we need to be aware of it because it's, it's really something that just basically takes us away from ourselves and feeling what we need to feel. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, the escape and yeah. living outside of ourselves versus within ourselves. So I think, yeah, we can all relate to that one. All right. Let's move on to the third adversity archetype, the fixer. The fixer is somebody that's always trying to fix the situation around them. It was like always, instead of, again, going and figuring out their own stuff, instead of filling up their own cup, they think that going and fixing things for everybody else around them is going to bring some sort of solution. And, you know, like the old saying, like you have to fill your cup. The, the more that you fill your cup first, the more you're going to fill others. And there's, there, there's a lot of that going around and you see it. And it's not that anybody is like meaning to do that, but it's this sense of like, you have to, you're getting validation from being this person that fixes things. And like, that's like, that is the way that you're going to get validation. And I would love if you touch on this a little bit more. Yeah, too. this one, trying to work through this one. Also. We had a deep dive into this one on one of our sessions and I related to this, you know, when this came up, I jumped at this. I'm like, yes, this resonates, right? And I think these, the archetypes, we'll get into the fourth one in a minute, but these are things that so many of us can resonate with and some more deeply than others, right? It's kind of like the love languages where we have main ones, but I think we can relate to all of them on a certain level. And so the fixer for me was, you know, I grew up with kind of a, an abusive dynamic with my parents, you know, and my dad. And so I learned very quickly that, you know, I wasn't whole and I had to, you know, love was conditional and I had to earn it and all this stuff. When I found personal development, I was, you know, I was moving along the, the different archetypes, you know, and I was getting out of maybe victim mode and getting out of distract, distraction mode. And I was like, okay, I can use personal development to make myself better and to fix myself. And it's this kind of hyper-focus on using like, tools. You're like addicted to these tools to make yourself a better version. Right. And 
I always kind of say, and this is kind of what we talked about, Lance, was are you fixing yourself or are you actually finding yourself? Like, are you going within and connecting with that truth and that inner guidance and North Star? Are you constantly thinking things are going to make you a different person or a better person, right? And so the fixer, I think, is it just another way that we move through adversity thinking like, oh, here's another opportunity to make myself better versus feeling whole already. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's like when you say yeah. it, yes, that's what we, okay. Cause you guys, you know, we've been working through this stuff and sometimes it's like, I'm like, okay, where's some examples and you nailed it there because that's exactly it is the personal development world is great world. Right. But you have to realize that you aren't broken. You aren't, you aren't, the way you are forever. Like you can, you can heal, you can move through these things. And I think that there's, there's times in this personal development world where you almost feel like, like you constantly are, are, are fixing yourself. Like yes. you're always needing a solution. Like you're, you're, I believe that there is a time where you need to stop reading all the books, take what you've learned, apply it, and then just go and then just just realize that you need to move through this there's a time to consume and there's a time to there's a time to act and actually apply it but a lot of people are trying to find these answers to fix themselves and then they get all confused because there's so many different ways of doing this and i think we can get addicted to being you know like trauma bonding and all these kind of things that I think it's important to have phases. I think it's important to go through things and then, you know, apply it so that you can actually work through it and trust your trust that, hey, I have enough information right now. How about I apply this instead of trying to look for more answers? I see it in the psychedelic community as well. They're looking for plant medicine or psychedelics. They go, they get a great journey. I love psychedelics and plant medicine. It's so powerful. If you're called to do that, it's not for everybody, but that isn't going to be the thing that fixes you. That is going to give you some insight and connect you to yourself. It's going to give you answers. It's going to give you homework. If you don't take the homework and you don't apply it, then you're just chasing an experience. That's the reality of it. If you don't like the answers, well, you shouldn't go get more answers. If you're going to keep chasing more answers, you're going to get really fucking confused. And that's what happens. So just understand that you aren't broken and where you're at is perfectly okay. Yeah, you need to work through some stuff. We all do. But getting addicted to searching for different answers to fix yourself and the stories, it's it, it, it just we need to like really pull ourselves back sometimes and, and actually take action and apply what we've learned. Yeah, and when you wrote about this, you put a big emphasis on that we don't need fixing. And so a lot of personal development I find, and maybe you agree, is there's kind of this undertone of shame, like, you yeah. know, like you're self-sabotaging, like shame on you, like you've fucked this up. And, yeah. you know, and so there's a lot of ways that I believe and I've observed through my own personal development journey that it's kind of designed that way. Not all of it, but yeah. a lot of it. And I love that you're kind of busting through that and you're doing it in a way where, yeah, if you're the fixer, Welcome to the party. We've like, if you're in personal development, we've all kind of been through that journey of that. And then I think you do get to a point where you start to understand that, great, get some information. But it, if your agenda behind it is to constantly try to be someone else and you carry shame with yourself, 
you're in a hamster wheel, right? And yeah. so when we apply that to adversity, you're not going to get very far because yeah. it's it's with this goal of consistently trying to fix yourself, which is a dead end. You're never going to, as long as you have that mentality, you're not going to ever achieve what you think you want to achieve because it will never be good enough. However, when you go into it understanding you're not broken, you don't need fixing. And these things, like you said, plant medicine and other tools can help. It doesn't negate your intuition. It doesn't negate the trust you have within yourself, right? And you're knowing that you're born with, like we're all born with. That's what I mean. That's what plant medicine and psychedelics does is it's essentially you just connect to your intuition deeper. Like you're connecting to yourself. That's all it is. And if you don't listen to those answers that you're seeking, well, then you're kind of, you know, not, you're just trying to escape. And, you know, I like that you brought that up around the shame around that word self-sabotage because, you know, ever since you taught, you told me about that, I, I always think about it and I'm mindful around it because I, I really think about like what is actually happening and, you know, why do we, you know, essentially when we are up, why do we want to bring ourselves down? And I don't think that we should wrap shame around that because I don't think that it's that productive, but I do think that there's something happening there that when, and this happens, has happened to me many times where I'm feeling at this level of bliss. You know, a lot of people do this. They work all week. Oh, I'm feeling so good. Let's drink. Let's like poison ourselves and go back to that. And my question for you is like, what is that? What do you think that is for the listeners? Like, instead of calling it self-sabotage, like, like what, what is that without wrapping shame around it? Like what is actually happening? Like, why do we feel the need to like, subconsciously like go back to that feeling of like, oh, I'm here again. Okay. We get addicted to the emotions, right? It's like the cocktail, the chemical cocktail that's being, it's like, it's almost like we get in this hamster wheel of like emotion. Speak to that a little bit. Cause like, I like how you, you, you talk about this in your own coaching. Yeah. I mean, what is personal development if it just perpetuates our shame? So self-sabotage is such a great example of that kind of up and down. And when shame plays a role, that's when we experience that roller coaster. If we can remove the shame, have more grace, have more self-love, all the walls come down and yeah. we're able to open up this path that we've never experienced before. And we create ease and we become magnetic for the things that we want. And it starts with releasing shame. And so instead of self-sabotage, it's we're simply self-protecting it's a nervous system response. There's something there that feels unsafe. And we could really go deep into this, but essentially it's that inner child response, right? Which is just the representation of unmet needs and suppressed emotions when we were a child. And then the conditioning we experience and trauma and, and all of that is, you know, imprinted in our nervous system. So something in a moment may trigger that and we want to protect ourselves. So anything uncertain, anything we're not familiar with that threatens our current homeostasis or our current comfort level, it's going to feel unsafe, right? And then we're like, oh, we, you know, we self-sabotage because that's the label that personal development has given it. Mm -hmm. But can you can imagine that dialogue with yourself like, oh, I sabotage that. Well, that doesn't feel good. So that's just 
maintaining and perpetuating the shame, yeah. which again, keeps us in the hamster wheel. And I'm glad you brought that up because when we talk about the topic of adversity, which is what this entire book, Mastering Adversity is about, which by the way, I want to emphasize something you talk about in the book, which it's not, it's mastering. It's this ongoing thing. And so I want to kind of segue that into the fourth archetype. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll break this down together, I think, because this is fascinating to me, which is the warrior archetype. That's the fourth adversity archetype. And so I want you to speak to that. And I just want to preface that I love the way that Lance has defined this because he's going to tell you what it's not. And then he's going to tell you how he defines it because the media and everything, you know, there are definitely specific outlets and various places where it's defined in this certain way. And the way that you break it down and describe it is very void of shame. It's not perfection. It's not getting it right every time. So talk talk to that. Yeah. So this word warrior is a very interesting word. And over the last year, I've really come, I've really had some really deep insight into it. So a little bit of a story as to why this interests me is last year in Sedona during a fit for service summit, I did a really deep holotropic breathing breathwork session. And can you explain what that is? Oh yeah. For the listeners. Yeah. So breathwork, holotropic breathing, it's like very intense. You lie down, you have, you have facilitators, you know, making sure that you're right. And they basically walk you through this intense breathing journey where you breathe in and out, breathe in and out, where you activate what's considered the third eye, which is where you, you have DMT released, which is your pineal gland, which is considered your third eye. And that's where you get different, you can see different, depending on how much you tap into it, you can see visions, you can get different insight, all kinds of stuff. And each time you do it, can bring up different emotions and it's intense. And I, I don't recommend doing it without having somebody, you know, helping you do it, you know, putting you through it professionally. There's a, there's a lot of amazing people. You can do it alone, but I would just suggest if it's the first time, you know, do your research and find a good facilitator. And so I'm not going to say that I'm like an experience. I've done it a thousand times. I've done it a few times, two handfuls worth of probably. And I've, I, I normally, before I did this one, I processed a lot of emotion. Like I, I was crying. I would like go into this, like I saw my dad, I saw, like it was really challenging prior to this. And then this one, I went into this deep state of like, deep within myself. And like, all of a sudden I had this bliss, like this, this like laughter, like this, like this release. And I started, yeah, I, I started laughing and I was like, Kyle Kingsbury was behind me. And it's like, he could feel it. And he's like, release that fucking warrior. And I was like, whoa, like it was like, I get goosebumps telling this story because I had this like energy within. And I was like, it was like, I was, it was like primal. And I like, I let out this big scream and I was like, ah, but it was like this like empowering, amazing, blissful feeling that I hadn't had in breath work. So I was like, wow what is that? And that the warrior, I was like, I need to explore this. And after that, this, this thing and this thing, this name of this play of words, warrior embodiment came out. And that's, you know, we've created a course around that we can talk about it later, but I really felt called to explore what this meant. 
I had some other situations where this war, this word kept coming up. There's a great book, King Warrior, Magician, Lover, which explains the male archetypes of the male psyche. So the warrior is one archetype. It's a very powerful one. And I want to get into what you, what you brought up before is that what people think it is. And you hear the word warrior, chances are you think, oh, it's some sort of savage that just wants to like go to war and burn down the town. And just like a lot of people have this misconception because of the movies, right? That's the shadow warrior. That's the wounded warrior. That's, that's the point of like the scared, broken warrior that a lot of it you see. A warrior has that ability to be able to fight and stand up for what's true and what's right when they need to from a place of love, not a place of fear, not a place of reacting, not a place out of emotion. It's, it's, they train themselves to really be heart-centered. And the more I've learned about it and the more I've realized is that all of the things that a, a human needs to embody to work through anything, and specifically what's going on in the world right now, whatever it is you decide to choose, there's a lot of characteristics that to move through this very challenging landscape that we're, you have to tap in to that, that warrior essence, that ethos, that spirit that we all have within us. We have our families, generations have had to move through terrible times, survive awful times for us to be alive right now. Somebody had to survive for us to be here. And I sat and thought about that. And I was like, you know what? Like we are fucking powerful, all of us as humans. And we need to remember that. Like it's almost a slap in the face to our ancestors to not appreciate what the hell they had to go through. And for us to be here today and to be scared of things and stupid shit that doesn't matter. But at the same time, like really be patient and understand the facts before reacting. That's the thing. It's like, I'm really fascinated by the warrior archetype. And I think it's so important with moving through adversity as being the one that we want to spend the most time in, out of the boxes, out of the archetype. We want to spend the most time in this archetype because it has the most empowering qualities and the most empowering behaviors that we want to embody in our lives in a daily basis. And the warrior for this way is just a word. However you want to deter, however you want to look at what the warrior means, that's fine. But this was this warrior word for me in the re, in, in this book was to just give you an understanding that, okay, I want to be in this, this archetype more than the others. And if I am in this archetype more than the others, I'm going to move through this shit. I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to have resilience. I'm going to be brave but I'm also going to be loving. I'm also going to care about people. I'm going to care about doing the, the thing that's right and that's true to you. But there's also a level of, if you need to step up and be, defend what's yours and you have to, you have to do that, then that's, you have the courage and you have the tools to be able to do that. So that's, that's where the, the warrior archetype really, to me, it matters a lot because this isn't just writing a book around adversity. This is like dealing with the world as a whole right now. Not like all the stuff that we talk about in this book is going to be able to be used in any situation. And right now in the world, we're, we're in a really 
challenging time and you have an opportunity to choose who you want to be and how you want to show up. And those four archetypes can really help you at creating the awareness that you need to understand your behaviors. And when you understand them, you can, you can navigate through them easier. So the warrior is something that I really want everybody to understand and to want to embody because we need warriors right now. We need you to tap into your true warrior spirit, your essence as to like, and what that really means to you. And there's no better time than to do that right now. Yeah. And I love that the warrior archetype isn't about, again, perfection and isn't about achieving this impossible standard. And exactly what you said, I want to spend more time in this archetype, which just insinuates that you're a human being and that the other archetypes are going to pull you. So being in the warrior archetype is, okay, I recognize and I have the conscious awareness that I want to go distract right now. Or I'm acting like a victim in the situation when I can use this adversity I'm experiencing to leverage me into a better situation. And what am I getting out of this, right? Or I, I'm reaching for somebody to give me the answers. I'm reaching for somebody to tell me what to do. I'm reaching to fix myself when that's not the solution. The warrior would say, it's not out there. You're not going to get it there. So I have the conscious awareness remembering my warrior within. I don't need to go out there. Right. Yeah. And the ancestral piece of it, I think, is so important because through time, like you said, we wouldn't be here without that, which means we have lineage to actual warriors. So we have that in our DNA. You've said this yeah. many times throughout the book. And I found that fascinating and really hopeful because when I have that conscious awareness around that, that it's already something I'm, I innately possess, I know that I can get through anything. So the warrior is about the consciousness. Uh, when you feel like you want to reach for something else or, or go outside of yourself to move through a tough situation or distract yourself. And I just love how concisely you put this together. It's kind of like a roadmap. Yeah, yeah. Adversity, and yeah. Well, yeah. And thank you for helping me bring this to life because, you know, that's the thing is like, I just want to make it help people work through the shit and just to have an understanding, right? And to, to help people just feel empowered. You know, that's what I've been, you know, University of Adversity is the, the podcast. I just want people to feel empowered to want to take action and take the first step in a different direction. If we can all come together and I think collectively looking at it like, yeah, you know, we're here. We came from we, our families. Yeah, we're all, we all have that. We can all think about that together and just that if that can bring us together, then that's fucking amazing yeah. because we're all humans here. We're all here for a reason right now. If we can use that to come together and to know like, yeah, you have it. I have it. Yeah. Let's dig deep. What does that mean? Let's go into our hearts. Let's, let's really explore that. Then you're going to feel empowered. And then you're not going to look at the situation in front of me. Your perspective of that thing in front of you is just going to be part of life. It's not good nor bad. You're just going to move through it. Like yeah. you're just going to, you're, you're, you're going to not going to see it as a stopping point. You're not going to see it as a block. You're going to see it as an opportunity. Some people see it as a game. Some people see it as the end of the world, right? Yeah. And the point of this is to change your perspective. So that every day you're able to look at things differently and you're able to move through them more freely. Yeah. And I laugh only because I had like a thought when that was me, 
Like I would be like, oh my God, you know, I can't even think of a small petty thing because that's the stuff that I'm like, whatever. And we have bad days where we feel like everything's piling up and it's one of those days, but I, you can always go back to this. You can always go back to like, what am I identifying as right now? And I can choose differently. And then over time, which I love, you cover all this in the book is over time, you start to shift your perspective by bringing that awareness to those situations. Because the biggest point you make in the book is that we're mastering because adversity never stops. Yeah. So that's the constant. But what we can change and control is that perspective. And yeah, like you said, some people play like a game, but also you know, you and I just in our friendship have shared just really deep stuff and like really painful times, many of which you share in your book on your own personal, you know, experiences. And we, because of those times too, it's brought us here. It's brought us to places where when an opportunity that comes up falls through, we're like, oh, all right, better one's coming. Or, you know, we have a relationship that ends or we have lose money or, you know, in an investment or whatever it is, or, you know, those are obviously not the most horrific things or lose a loved one, for example, like you kind of just start to learn how to grieve whatever that is, but also rise above it and move through it. Mm -hmm. And it's just the way you've told your stories have really helped me deeply understand these archetypes because you've embodied all of them. We've got about 10 minutes and I would love for you to just share. I would say question one is I'm turning the tables on you. Let's put warrior aside. You very much embody the warrior now, but you've been very transparent that you're human and you get pulled through your life prior to really understanding what the warrior embodiment is. Who did you, or which archetype rather, did you identify with the most? And I wanted you to tell me a story. And I know the answer because I read your book and we've gone deep into it. But Well, do you want me to, I mean, we could go into the bar. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so who, who are you? Which archetype are you in this story? Well, I would say I was the victim and the distractor for sure. Big time distract. I see distractor. And the victim because of what happened in my family growing up and all the shit with my stepmom. I was always like, why'd this happen to me? And, you know, and, and all of that craziness that happened. And, you know, I always felt like I didn't see the blessing in it at the time, which today is even challenging, but I know that it had to happen. But through the years of many challenges of leaving my mom, my family, having a crazy stepmom from hell, blowing my hockey career, all of the things, I gravitated towards the distractor because it numbed me from having to feel what I didn't even know I was doing. So I had so much social anxiety and so much pain as a teenager that as soon as alcohol was in the picture, I was like, holy fuck, I can be a different person. I can escape. I can, I can literally create a new person. Like I got validation from that. I was in the bars. I was getting validated for for partying. I was getting rewarded for it, right? So I could hide. And I was like, there was all these like, ding, 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 ding. Like, it was like, yeah, you're getting rewarded. So it was almost like, why wouldn't I pick that route at the time? The distractor, right? And, but what I realized now is that's just what it was. It was, it was, and I think at that age, I obviously I was too young. I didn't understand what I know now. 
but the quicker you realize what you're doing, the faster you're able to move through it and the more healing that can take place. Right. So there, yeah, there was some dark, dark moments where instead of me just feeling the discomfort or the loneliness of even living away in Australia, high dis- dis- escaping from the craziness that I had to deal with with my dad and my stepmom and my younger brother. And it was just a nonstop fucking thing all the time. And I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. You know, I moved to Australia and it was just like, I it was literally distracting myself from ever having to like go into that feeling and feel it. And there was just so many wounds that I was, I was, I was avoiding. And alcohol was my choice of, of poison, right? And it's been an up and down battle of working through things and sitting in discomfort. And, you know, do I need alcohol? Don't I? Am I rewarding myself or am I hiding? And it's a dance. We all, so many people go through this. And I just want to point out alcohol as a reward is embedded in the fabric of this Western culture. Like, yeah, absolutely. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. My entire life has been basically, well, all of them. Like I said, you know, the fixer for a while, I, you know, got very into the books, right? Trying to, you know, I need more answers. And I was like, wait a minute. I think I know quite a bit about this. I should probably apply this stuff. And, and like, I, like I said, with plant medicine, the fixer has been something that has probably been the one that's been least, least that I played in. Cause I I'm very adamant about not getting, going crazy with information and just like trying to digest what I already know. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, it's my entire life has been a distractor. <laughs> well, and so, yeah, you go really heavy into the book about your experience with alcohol. Because for those of you that don't know, and maybe you do know if you're a longtime listener, Lance was on the track to becoming a professional athlete. And, you know, some might use the term self-sabotage and you get into this a little bit in your book, but there was some type of protection mechanism where you, you know, self-protection, you blocked yourself from that. If you want to learn more, you got to read the book. But essentially you went off to Australia, you were an amazing bartender. Like this is just another example of, or you kind of pivoted your performance or like showmanship. Like if you weren't on the ice, well, you're out oh, yeah. at the bar and you're at the, was it the Four Seasons? Yeah, I worked, I worked for a company called QT Hotels, which is an amazing place. And then I ended up at the Four Seasons. I was sober at the Four Seasons for a year. Oh, wow. Okay. I realized that. I realized after that year of running a bar sober, I was like, I'm not into this anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I- it's hard. Environment is everything. So you, yeah. you, you go into a day in the life in the book. And yeah. I have to tell you, this is one of, if not, it's the top five most powerful chapters in the book, for sure, or stories that you told, Yeah, in my opinion. And so I want you to break down a day in the life of the distractor specifically with alcohol, et cetera. Yeah. Well, let's just say I had nights where I would get home, you know, 10 in the morning, I'd eat McDonald's, I'd go to sleep. I wake up with the biggest panic attack, anxiety so bad that I couldn't sleep. I couldn't even, I couldn't get up. It was just, I couldn't walk to the bathroom. It was, it was so horrific in a sweat, you know, living in this like hot, cardboard box studio apartment in Sydney with the blazing heat, you know, and I would wake up and I would, I, I, I would, I would have like these like jolts of panic. I got to go to 
work and I got to do it all again. And I just, you know, I'd have to drink myself through and balance myself out somehow to, 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 to get my crippled body out of my bed and get to work and to deal with the responsibilities that I had to deal with and somehow be able to like get through without looking like a fucking disaster and just get the game face on, get ready to do it. And I got, I was, I became a master at being able to really put myself through absolute hell and then be able to get myself back to work. And I want to say there's a blessing in that hell that I put myself through because it gives me so much fucking gratitude when I feel good because I think back to some of those moments and they've come and gone over the years. You know, I haven't completely escaped that, you know, like they, I'm human, but those, those days were some so bad that there's literally nothing worse I could possibly feel. And it just has given me this sense of gratitude of like how I don't want to be in that position. And I think that that was what I had to go through in order to learn the lesson that my soul needed to learn. And it was just so, it was so painful. And I was just so lost and so sad and so broken that the alcohol was just, and the drugs that came from that was just all I felt like I had. And it was the only validation that I could, I felt that I was worthy of, you know, and from the opposite sex, you know, like getting the girl, getting drunk, getting the girl. That was what I got validation from. And that was what I lived for. And it was a really, it was a fun time, but I knew I was distracting myself from my soul's purpose the whole time. I always knew you should be, this isn't your path. Yeah, yeah, shut up. I'm distracting myself. Like that's literally what I was doing. I always knew I had the call, like you needed, you should be doing something else. But I was scared. I had too much shit to deal with in my, and this is why I've done the healing work. This is why I've done it because now I can look back and go, wow, okay. It's a, it was a tough process and there was a lot of pain, but I'm grateful for it because now I can actually see how far I've come. And there was, those were some of the greatest moments of my life working in those bars, but it was also some of the darkest, you know? So, but you couldn't have been more of a distractor than I was, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you go really deep into this in the book of staying out till six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the morning sometimes. <laughs> and and but back, yeah, had it go to the pub at after after party. Yeah. 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 And you became a master at it, master distractor. And I that's one I think a lot of people I think sometimes people are saying, I'm not a victim. And then if you know, you break it down in the book and maybe they can start to recognize. But I think distractor, we can all very consciously say, we do this. And and even at the smallest scale of Every night I get home and I have a few beers. It's like, is it wrong? No, but definitely the con bringing the consciousness in. The warrior would say, yeah. am I distracting from something? And why do I do this? It questions things, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Like think of a noble samurai sitting there <laughs> and just going, your highest self is the warrior. Like, okay, I'm not going to get upset with you, but is that the right move? Like think of that, like, you know. Like yeah. And you know what else I think about is it's not just, the necessarily the distraction piece of 
alcohol, we'll just use alcohol as the example. The alcohol is masking something. It's like, what else could I be doing with this time to like further uncover who I am and create a life that I love, that it doesn't give me anxiety, that I don't feel overwhelmed and that I don't want to escape from, that I don't want to distract from. It's valuable time and energy that we could be using for something else. Right. That's kind of how I look at it. Absolutely. So it, it's, it's not just alcohols maybe suppressing things. It's like, I could be going the total other direction. And I just have to honor you because you've done that. You go straight through. And again, we're not perfect, but you, you have this level of consciousness. And I've noticed this about you. I mean, the few years that we've known each other, it's just been miraculous to see you truly embody this warrior. It's inspiring. And I love that you have chosen to go through your own little version of adversity and write this book. It's quite the challenge. Yeah. For, it, yeah. You know, you know, the, the most recent is, you know, coming to Mexico, selling everything and coming here. And that's a whole other conversation, but I, you know, I had that deep calling to, to, to go and get out of there. And cause it was true. And it was, it wasn't the, it wasn't necessarily the most logical thing on paper, but <laughs> it felt true to me. And I appreciate, I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate you, how you, it resonates with you because, you know, I love how you can kind of like unpack it for people as I, you know, as we talk about yeah. it, because <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really powerful, these archetypes. And I think that it's not, again, it's not about feeling, oh shit, I'm this person. It's like, oh, I'm aware. I'm being more of this. Let's get out of this and out of this. And some of them overlap. This yeah. is just a guideline as to like creating awareness in your life. That's it. You know, Absolutely. so. So we're going to probably do a part two. I'm just putting that out there because there's yeah. more depth we're going to explore next time. So everybody stay tuned for that. Flies, huh? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not letting you get off this easy. There's, <laughs> there's more to go. So thank you everybody for listening. Again, we'll be keeping you tuned into when this book is coming out. Pre-sales will launch probably early next year, which is so exciting. And I just can't wait for everyone to read it and really see the true Lance ECF. Appreciate it. And for all of you out there, Samantha's been on the podcast. We'll probably get her on again in 2022 and get her back on, but she's powerful. And, you know, one of my best friends out there, one of the best humans. So I highly recommend you guys go and check her out, follow her, all her stuff. And uh, she's got to get a podcast too. I mean, let's be serious. I, I weaseled my way <laughs> to this one. <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys on part Thanks, two. Thanks, everybody.